Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today we're talking about a selection of games from the Bundle for Racial Justice and Equality. Uh, all these games were part of said bundle on itch.io and are available there and elsewhere. But um, for those that are not aware, this is just a gigantic bundle of games, source books, assets, and other materials that was released on Itch to uh, support the Black Lives Matter protests following the killing of George Floyd. Uh, and I have to say, there's just an enormous amount of material here, so we're, we're hoping we can give you a little taste of that and maybe show you where to spend some of that time that your generous donation bought you. Yeah, I think there's, what, 1,700 games? So... It's not so much about the five bucks, it's trying to figure out where you can spend your hours of quarantine on, on all these. Yeah, this uh, this managed to raise over $8 million uh, from a total of 815,000 contributors. So we are getting roughly a, a $10 per person donation there. Um, and they were donating all the proceeds to the NAACP Defense Fund and the, or sorry, Legal Defense and Educational Fund, as well as the Community Bail Fund. So there's, you know, it's a good cause. It's uh, just a, a ton of great games by a, a lot of great independent developers. And, you know, it's more money than uh, EA and Ubisoft have donated to this. So, hey, support your local independent game developer and get out there and play some, some good games. This was a really great move by Itch as well. Uh, very generous of them to put the infrastructure in place and to donate everything to these two, um, to these two causes here. And I, I can tell you that I'm on the itch.io Discord channel, and these guys are still swapped with support for this bundle here. Um, they're very far behind. It's a very small team there at itch, and they've done a great job throwing this all together. Yeah, I didn't know they did things like this. I've seen, uh, obviously, we've all heard of Humble Bundle doing things like this, you know, every month with uh, with with their bundles. But those are usually what, like 30, 30 games. Or something like that. Most, this was yeah. abs- this was absurd. Seventeen hundred. I just for five bucks. Like, I... there are some real heavy hitters on this list here too. Um, yeah, all games we've done before in previous book clubs, but they have Night in the Woods. They got Pyre. They got Oxenfree. They got Celeste and a Short Hike. The last two of which we've both recorded our conversations on, and you can find on our website. Yeah, any of those. Uh, if you haven't played those. I would start there. Those are probably the biggest and best t- titles in the bundle, right? Totally. I think those are those are sort of the like Josh said, the heavy hitters, um, ones that have a lot of name recognition, a lot of developer recognition. But uh, none of those are ones that we're here to talk about today. Uh, just to mm-hmm. lay it out for you, we're going to be talking about Minute, Lena's Quest, Loot Rascals, Mortician's Tale, Stillness of the Wind, and Long Gone Days. So when all three of us went and bought this bundle, there were you know, hundreds and hundreds of games that we've never even heard of. So as a way to kind of distribute the work a little bit, we each picked two games we were interested in playing and checking out. And then we went through and played those, and everybody else kicked in a little bit of time towards those two. So this will be kind of a more of a sampler episode, rather than a deep dive into any one particular game. Yep, we're just trying to help you guys figure out where you might want to start spending your time, because that was definitely... I don't even know where to start with this thing. It was it was a behemoth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of articles out there saying this is the best uh, video game bundle in history, which is hard to argue. But to, to your point, 
just an incredible volume here, and we're hoping we can at least give some perspective on a few of these titles. This isn't going to be our normal format where we sort of exhaustively discuss a game, but rather just a quick sort of preview what a game's about and and how we felt about it. Well, with that, why don't we all talk uh, a bit about our first game, Minute. So, Minutes an Adventure game developed by JW, Kitty, Yukio, and Dom, and it was published by Devolver Digital. Uh, we've done several of their games before, um, and it's it's an interesting concept. So basically, this is kind of a, a lo-fi, old-school video game, but the whole point here, it's kind of reminiscent of like a Zelda, but it, everything's done in 60-minute increments. So 60-second like, increments. Sorry. Hence, Minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah, you, you have 60 seconds uh, to do whatever you can do to progress the game, and then you uh, are automatically uh, reset back where you started. So I think if you uh, if you find an item or uh, interact with the world in a certain way, certain things will persist, but mostly you just restart. So you have to find continuously find a new way to push the needle just a little bit further, and uh, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. It, it basically progresses by having you know any things that happen that change the world state, uh, like inviting an extra guest to a hotel or uh, knocking down a barrier in some way. Opening up a bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but your your spawn points, basically you, you can also update your spawn points by sleeping in a bed, but there's only, I think, three of them in the entire game, so you're not yeah. making like a journey really, you're just sort of slowly unpeeling a small area that you're in. Yeah, you're like constantly finding a new ability, a new shortcut, something that lets you get further faster. That way you can do more in that 60 seconds than you could do before, basically. Yeah. And then it's just a consistent loop of getting a new thing that somehow recontextualizes the environment that you've been walking in the whole time. I don't know. It, it's kind of cool. I've never seen a game do that before. Didn't uh, uh, Majora's Mask kind of do that a little bit, sort of? Yeah, yeah. Majora's Mask had the three-day cycle that you were you had to reset at the end, but this game... Puts uh, puts that hard limit on and immediately just kills you and you're you know you're expected to die. Whereas in Majora's Mask you were like subverting death by turning back time. Um, so I don't really know what the diegetic reason for this little duck build creature that you're piloting around dying every <laughs> sixty seconds is. Um, cursed sword. <laughs> oh, cursed sword. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Well, but you but you die before you get the sword too, don't you? I didn't. Oh man, never mind that. Well, that's interesting, uh, but... <laughs> I mean, I could have grabbed the sword within the first minute. Yeah, I, th- I think we all I did. I think you can walk around until you get the sword. Okay, that interesting. Make, that's interesting. Yeah, that makes sense, because then your entire quest is really uh, going and finding the sword manufacturing factory and finding a way to destroy it. That's sort of like the crux of the game's uh, progression. If you want to call it a story, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a story, I guess. I think this game was kind of a triumph in two ways. First was the scope, and then second was the kind of the breadth. Um, with the scope, it was a very small game, and it works very well. I mean, with Majora's Mask, uh, you go through, you play for three in-game days, and then you go back. You can kind of see how you can get a lot done in that. In this game, you've got 60 seconds from when you wake up in order to do something. So just from a game development standpoint... It really restricts what you can do, and I think the developer worked very successfully with this in order to make it so there was um, 
always a puzzle you could get to or you could backtrack to this place now and unlock a new area after you do that. I think the second thing was the kind of the breadth of it. There was a lot of interesting stuff you'd run across in this game. It really um, makes me think like this is a true adventure game because you feel like you're going on an adventure. Yeah, it, it like Clint was saying at the top, the top-down Zelda um, reminiscent look of it, uh, despite the fact that it's one bit black and white uh, coloration really added to that as well, right? When I think of an old-school adventure game, I think Legend of Zelda, the original on the NES, and this game apes that style and presentation quite a bit. So mm-hmm. that's helping in the adventure aspect for me as well. How far into the game did you guys get? So I know this game, for, for most of you that haven't played this, I think it's like an average of like a three-hour game. I got through about two, so I still need to do a little bit more. Brian, you finished, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I finished this game. I played it a while ago, like back closer to when it first came out. I played it again for this. Uh, I remembered a lot, so this this time through, I, I cleared it in 40 minutes. And I think uh, there's speedruns in this game with that are sub-10 minute, so... Hmm. Um, this game can very much be completed in like a super economical way. Uh, and it's, it's honestly like, it's a gateway drug for speed running. I think like, yeah. it's so cool. Well, it's built for it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard you can beat the entire game in 25 turns or less. So that would be 25 minutes or, or less or, yeah. or even less. Oh, yeah. yeah Cause you, you can end your cycle anytime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. I do like that. They give you the option of just sort of opting out at any point and saying, well, this run's not getting anywhere. I'm in a corner of the map where there's nothing to do. You just press, you know, your, I think it's square if you're on a PlayStation or Y if you're on an Xbox controller and boom, you're dead back to your spawn. So you could travel between the spawn points eventually, and it took 10 seconds, but every time I would, I'd just die right away, because, hey, that's like, that that only took 10 seconds, but that's one <laughs> yeah, that's wasted my time. playthrough right here. Yeah, why not? It's like, there's my bed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess t- the crazy thing to think about is that by the time you get to the end of the game, you are able to beat the entire game in a <laughs> 60 se- in no less than 60 seconds from your starting point hmm. that you've been at the, the entire time. Like, that's just crazy well yes and no um do you want me to talk about the last boss or do we leave it nah I've, no uh, we leave only it got okay. into the factory and i definitely want to keep playing this game later on okay well, i feel I'll, like i'm so close i'll just leave it with uh, the fact that um they subvert that slightly at the very end and you can find out for yourself when you play this game <laughs> cool so i think if we were telling you how we all felt about it i would say like i said i played about two-thirds of the game it was a lot of fun it was definitely um, something new, which is not something we see very often in video games because we play video games all the time. So uh, for me, I would say if you don't know where to start with this bundle and you've, you haven't played some of those other games that we've talked about already, then uh, this would be a good one to check out. If you haven't play, played a lot of indie games in general, I'd say Minute and Short Hike are probably my top two gateway drugs. Yeah, yeah, those are both great games, and I, I echo your sentiments with this one, Clint. I, uh, you know, this is a game by sort of a indie super team. Like uh, Jan Willem Neiman is uh, one half of Volambier. They're you know lauded indie developers. Rami Ismail being the other half. Um, super, super high pedigree for this team. Uh, just a lot of really good stuff going into this one. So tight game, well designed. I agree with you. I would, I would say play this one. Yep, this one's worth your time.
next we're going to talk about uh, Lena's Inception. Lena's Inception was released just this year in 2020. It was released by Byton Studio, an indie game studio based in Brighton, uh, England, composed of Jay Bayliss and Tom Coxon. Now, this game is another take on the Zelda, uh, the Zelda genre, the adventure game of old. Except in this game, you're not playing as the hero. You're playing as the tutorial person who shows the hero what to do. But due to glitches, the hero dies and you've got to take up the quest now. And now it might seem like we have a type, but don't worry. We play some uh, more different things than just <laughs> top-down Zelda likes uh, in this <laughs> in this sampler. Uh, but yeah, this it sort of mashes a, a Zelda randomizer if you've ever heard that like if you guys have heard of the link to the past randomizer it's a popular thing that they do speedruns of basically it takes like all the dungeons and treasures in link to the past and randomizes their locations and ensures that it's solvable and then uh, challenges speedrunners with you know finishing that as fast as you can um and this game sort of does that. It's procedurally generated Zelda overworld with like a glitch aesthetic mixed in. Uh, the bosses are called Archangels, which I thought was kind of badass. And the big enemy is like a banker's guild, which is hilarious. They did have some good humor in the game, like how the entire economy of the town was based off of um, the hero slaying the monsters and bringing the gold from there back to the town. That's where they get the money from. But also the banker's guild existed because heroes kept going into these people's houses and smashing all the pots to steal their money. <laughs> and they're like, like, come to our hero-proof bank. Your money is safe here. This was fun because it was like a tongue-in-cheek riff on old school Zelda. I think they even had like when you get the sword, the guy is like dead in the corner. And, and like his famous quote, what was it? Uh it's dangerous to go alone. <laughs> yeah, it's all written in blood on the floor, just like in you know, Link to the Past. I don't know. It was fun. Yeah, definitely. It's a strong, like, uh, comical subversion of like the classic Zelda tropes, and um, it's really well done. It feels good to play. I uh, I didn't finish it. I only got through I think the first half. I did four dungeons, and I think I'll probably end up playing some more. It's uh, it's definitely a cool game. I'd say this game at the end does have a sort of plot twist. Which, to use our favorite word, recontextualizes everything beforehand. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd say if you had fun up to the fourth dungeon, the boss fights get more interesting at that point because there's more glitch things happening. Hmm. Um, so it did have an interesting plot. I do feel like the kind of like the action, the minute to minute combat, the dungeon delving was maybe not as tight as minute was uh so if you liked it so far brian i'd say keep going with it but um it depends on what you're looking for i suppose sure yeah i got through about like an hour of it and i, and I was interested enough that i think i'll go back and play more of it later too mm-hmm. excellent i could see myself doing a second run of this game now knowing what i know because there's i guess a second path you can take once you know Worth noting here, and this uh, applies for both of the games we've talked about too far, incredibly dope music, uh, both like really cool retro um, chiptune soundtracks for both of these, and I'm sure I'll drop some of those tunes in here. (laughs) 
So next we'll talk uh, about Loot Rascals. Uh, this is a roguelike game that was released back in 2017 by Hollow Ponds. Um, and the designer, Ricky Haggett, actually worked on the recently released Wilmot's Warehouse, which I recently played and loved. So this is uh, kind of a deceptively deep roguelike, or roguelite. Um, it's got a really interesting sort of weird cartoon art style and very catchy tunes. And it has sort of a card system for equipment and um, character progression that doesn't work as a deck builder, but sort of relies on how you orient cards in your inventory. I'd say it's more, it's more an inventory system than a deck builder because there's never any like random shuffling and drawing of what you have um but it was interesting because it's like you, you can have these cards and it's all about how the cards are positioned what cards to the left what cards to the right what types of cards you have um and the cards will get bonuses or malices based on what other cards they're nearby yeah, it's, it's also really stripped down in terms of mechanics compared to, to most roguelikes. There's really only four stats, health, attack, defense, and tokens, which are your, um, your currency. And there's also a few abilities like burn and plasma and teleport, but for the most part, you're really just sort of maneuvering yourself around a hex grid and uh, smashing your numbers up against your enemies and progressing in that way. It gets a little more tactical later on when you get your excuse me, when you get your ability cards, but overall, um, the deceptive depth of this game really comes out in, like, making you think about the tactical choices of not only within your inventory, but also your, your movement and positioning on the overworld. One of the huge things with that was that there was a, um, a five-turn day cycle and a five-turn night cycle, which was important to keep track of because half of the enemy monsters, like half of the monster species, they would attack first during the day and the other half would attack first at the nighttime. Um, and the cool thing they did with their stats, you know, there weren't a lot of stats, but the monster's power was how much health it had. So how dangerous it was, was based on how, how many hearts it had. And if you attacked first, you would weaken the monsters to a hugely significant to a hugely significant degree, making the management of like, I want to attack this guy during nighttime, he's coming at me, but if I do this little, I don't know, Texas two-step over here, then it'll be nighttime by the time he attacks me, and then I go first, and I'm going to win easily. And this is another one of those games like um, Into the Breach, where all of the information is on the page there for you. Like, you, you know exactly what's going to happen. The only thing you don't know is where the enemy's going to move. Like, you know that when you're attacked, the enemy's... Uh, the enemy is going to do an amount of damage that's their power divided by your defense. Um, oh and... no, they'll um, that's the chance that they'll attack you, that they'll do damage. But when you get damage done, it's always one. So it's like health as a number of mistakes you can make, as opposed to a stat you can buff. So much. oh really? Huh. Okay, got it. That's and then if their attack is lower than your defense, it's a percentage chance that they'll do a damage. Hmm. Interesting. I think I think they can do more than one though. So that's why I think it's divided by like usually your defense is within range that you're right. It normally ends up being one. It, it's always at least one. But if it's more than twice your defense, it'll do two. I don't know. If you're oh, running. okay. Yeah. I only got to world three on this. I never had more than one damage done to me at once. I don't think. 
I have. It was bad. It was a bad scene. Um, <laughs> Unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a, a, at the end of the day, um, you know, this is definitely like a run based game where you're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn about the game's sort of ins and outs as you, you go. And, you know, it, it, it's one of those games that the main form of progression you're going to make in it is the character, you know, your experience with it, right? That's how roguelikes work. Uh, see mm-hmm. Josh and I's uh, Brogue podcast for and our roguelike podcast for discussion, <laughs> uh, dis- or roguelike roundup for a discussion on that. It um, keeps coming back. Yeah. Now, I guess if I'm thinking, you know, I played this game, I don't think I'm going to beat it. Um, roguelikes are hard to beat. And honestly, I have a lot of run-based games in my life. Am I glad I checked it out? For sure. Uh, do I think I'm going to play much more of it? Probably not. This is cool and novel, but I think I got what I needed out of it. I could see myself playing some more of this. I always like a good roguelike, but yeah, that's weird to me. I never thought about it before now, but I've never like measured a roguelike by whether I've beaten it or not. I was just like, oh, <laughs> Did I've I played have enough. Fun? Yeah. Did I have fun? It was good. So thumbs up from me on this one. Uh, our next game is Mortician's Tale. Yep, so Mortician's Tale is, I guess you could call it a video game, uh, d- developed by Laundry Bear Games. Uh, I guess uh, I guess they're kind of known for their emotionally impactful games, which was definitely the, the theme for this. If you're new to like the indie game scene and you're expecting to come in and enjoy yourself, this is not what I would <laughs> ever recommend you play. Uh, so this was more of like an emotionally evocative experience than, than a video game. And uh, this kind of... Well, I guess we'll talk about this as we go in, but this is all about the death industry. You're, you're following uh, a mortician. This woman uh, starts starts her job as mortician, and the whole gameplay loop is you reading emails and then preparing bodies. But basically, I don't know, man. It just gets super... This game is in your face and uncomfortable about all the unnatural things that are done to your body when you die. Like, it goes into way gross detail. I was so uncomfortable while playing this game. I don't get uncomfortable easy, but I don't know. It just made you realize, like, how weird the death industry is. Totally. I don't know. Did, did you guys play this? Yeah, yeah, I played it. It's it's a quick one, you know? You you, you only have to play maybe an hour or so to finish it, but... Oh, maybe I'm yeah. closer than I thought to the end. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It does offer sort of a different perspective on, on death, you know? Like like Clint was saying, sort of prepping the body and attending the funeral is sort of the main loop. And, you know, it's all about, like, are you respecting the client's wishes, embalm or no, open casket or closed? Um, you know, all of this and more must be considered to make sure that, you know, you're not only honoring the wishes of the deceased, but their family, but then also, like, ensuring, you know, ethical treatment of uh, the person who died and you, you know, like you said, it's, it's hitting pretty heavy topics and, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was sitting there talking about, it would say things like, okay, go ahead and glue the eyes shut because your eyeballs deflate when your body starts to decompose. You got to make sure they don't pop open and you're like sewing mouths shut. And like, it just, the, oh God, like it was just, it didn't pull any punches. It, it like, I, and I think the whole point of, of the game was to show you how, cold and unnatural that all is and then they were pushing a whole like why don't we do this a more natural way which was an interesting take because i guess this isn't something that people people avoid this topic like crazy because they don't want to think about it and they're like "Ah, i'm not worried about it until after i'm dead 
you know, but like it's something we should think about. And it reminds me of another game. Uh, did you guys ever play uh, That Dragon Cancer? I didn't no, play it, but I I'm aware not. of it. Yeah, it's 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 another game like this where it kind of makes people stop and think about an uncomfortable thing that most people wouldn't think about. I think that's about a a man whose child has cancer and he's like helping him through the whole chemotherapy and and these are experiences meant to really pu- push your boundaries and make you feel and experience something. That's something video games can do that reading about something cannot or seeing something cannot because you're, you have interaction with it. Right. I think it really does a good job in that, but I, it's not enjoyable. (laughs) I wouldn't, but it, but it could be important. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. As opposed to what a traditional video game is trying to do, which is, you know, uh, I guess normally to make you have fun. This is more trying to convey a message. And I think this game does do a really good job of conveying its message through its emails about, you know, if you, if you read each of the, the PSAs that they sort of give you, the death industry PSAs at the beginning. They talk about a lot of really interesting stuff that, like you said, Clint, we avoid like the plague as uh, living Americans, um, like respect for the individual even in death, how to handle same-sex marriages, transgender people, the business of the death and the funeral industry. You know, there's even like a subplot in this where the funeral home you're working for is bought out and business practices change. It's really, yeah. it, it it runs the gamut of like in situations in this industry. And, you know, I'm sure it only scratches the surface, but it's definitely a cool perspective to see and one you don't normally see. And yeah. I think if you're I... into this kind of thing and you like the show Six Feet Under, you should probably play this game. Other than that, if you're looking for a cool breezy thing to do while you're running through this bundle, maybe this isn't for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd yeah. say like this game probably had, um, enter, uh, not, sorry. This game probably had education on its mind more than entertainment. Uh, Some of the things I learned about the death industry, and, you know, I work as a nurse in a hospital. I I know a thing or two about, like, the medical industry and whatnot. But some of the things I learned, like, oh, you know, uh, open casket funeral can run $7,000 or more. Um, Or about what formaldehyde does to people and how it, you know... There's people who are against it seeping into the environment afterwards. Uh, a lot yeah. of things that I would have not have learned otherwise that I'm glad to know about uh, through playing this game. I only got up to the corporate buyout part of the game, but enough to get kind of the flavor of it. I was going to say, it's definitely something worth your, your time for an educational thing for sure. Just know what you're getting into before you get into it. It is a de- uh, heavy game, a very heavy game. For sure. Mm-hmm. All right. With that, let's talk about our next uh, pretty heavy game, <laughs> Stillness of the Wind. Stillness of the Wind was developed by Fellow Traveler, released in 2019. It's a follow-up to the very similar and critically acclaimed Where the Goats Are, which I never played that one, but I took a look at some of the screenshots and I said, yes, this is where it came from. So the summary of this game, I'm going to say it's Stardew Valley, except... Instead of being a fresh face in a new town full of people, you are the last person here in the valley. And there's a mailman who comes by and everybody else has left for better opportunities than farming can provide. 
Yeah, I think my, my little summary here was depressing AF harvest moon. So, <laughs> no, pretty close. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like a story of an old lady slowly living out the end of her days. I think this is like the first babushka lady simulator. Um, which <laughs> Three you know, word review right there, babushka <laughs> lady simulator. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's very ambient. The visuals are gorgeous and like very primary color focused. Um, you know, uh, to not overuse a word that I use a lot, it's it's sort of meditative. Uh, but honestly, I was a bit bored by it. But I think that might be what it's getting trying to do. You know? Yeah, I, I think a lot of games, a lot of indie games, are starting to do this. This reminded me a lot of like Gone Home or even Night in the Woods. It's like a story about the world that has passed you by, and you're still stuck there in the same place while everyone else has moved on. Very depressing. I again, it's it's hard to enjoy games like this, but maybe it, the message that they are conveying are important. Yeah, I've I've heard the game does sort of go places, but um, in terms of like it it gets I guess it gets more bleak and sort of really spells out the fact that this this place is sort of suffering its own sort of heat death of the universe <laughs> in terms of mm. its its little neighborhood. But um, I didn't get that far, mostly because I. Uh, you know, the, the game seems to primarily gate its content by just making you pass the time in the days. Like, it's a farming simulator, but it really doesn't matter what you do with your farm. Just gotta get enough cheese to live. Yeah, well, you don't, do you? Like, I don't think there's a lose state in this game that I'm aware of. You but... can't get hungry enough that you can't do any work. I've never tried to push that, though, and starve yeah, and... the poor babushka. Yeah. I was just would. afraid of what she was going to do with the <laughs> shotgun because that was always just sitting in the corner. I'm like, oh, God, tell me it's not that depressing of a game. I, I hope not. I don't know. Um, and, and if it is, I'm sure there's a reason. But, um, yeah, I, I just I didn't love the fact that, like, I I couldn't really do much except pass the time. And it didn't it, it felt a little disempowering. And maybe this is the point yeah. again that my actions didn't really seem to matter at all. Um, not to say that I didn't enjoy the time I spent with it. It was really pretty, and I, I think I get what it's going for, but maybe it just came to me at a bad time. Uh, I do always like the feeling of, you know, making progress, even if it's progress towards something really sad, and this game subverted my, my desire to make progress, even towards a depressing ending. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I played about an hour, and I think it's all about I would ever put into it. But again, I might have been right on the on the cusp of getting into what it was trying to tell me, but I just couldn't make myself go any further. And I I should not have played this right after Morticians because I was I was just done. <laughs> God, we're, we're we already have enough depressing crap going on. Like I just couldn't do it. <laughs> Two in a row. I was like, nope, switch. Yeah. One of the things I think this game did particularly well is it made you feel like you were all alone on this farm. Um, you were on this tiny small world and there were a couple of features around you but it was this vast and featureless plain and like brian said there's not tons to do there there's ways to keep yourself busy routines you can get into but it's not like you're no you know like um i'm comparing this to stardew valley a lot because that's where i see a lot of the farm farming um farming similarities taken in stardew harvest moon all that there's no like dungeon to delve into there's no oh you opened up the desert now there's a fun new area to explore oh look the seasons changed look at this cute artwork now it's all just the same over and over again but at the same time you're getting these letters from your family you're getting these letters from your family who's been around the world and off world in some cases and you're hearing about their exciting lives and 
all you can do is hear about it. And that kind of is hammered home that, you know, that's them. That's not who you are right now or what you can do. And to that end, it's super effective at evoking that feeling of like missing out or, you know, it's no longer my time. Um, And that is not a feeling you get very often in general, or at least, you know, us as relatively young people uh, get very often. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's the first old lady simulator. And that's, it's a perspective worth engaging with, even if it's not, as, as Clint has said before, particularly fun. I think I played my babushka a little bit differently than you guys, because I remember the second or the third letter she had was from her sister, who'd moved to the big city and was like, go and see the market and see the plays. And uh, she was talking about, oh, you know, I can't believe you still want to stay on that farm back there. Um, but I guess as long as you're there, there's something left of our parents or there's something left of our mother. She's still in this world somehow. So I kind of played as my babushka was, you know, she was uh, happy to get a letter and hear about her granddaughter and what exciting things she was up to. But she was happy on the farm, too. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, it's just kind of like Mortician's Tale. It brings up an uncomfortable thing. But a lot of times, you know, we go off and live our lives and we forget that, you know, like our parents or our grandparents are in this state. They're left alone and we don't call them as much as we should. And this is, you know, like it kind of puts you in their shoes for a minute. And it's uncomfortable and it's a good thing to remember. Like, hey, look, these people are alone and they need you and hmm. you should probably write them a letter because that might be the only thing that they have going on or looking forward to yeah i think if uh if COVID times have taught us anything write a letter make a call reach out sometimes it's the only thing you can do We'll talk about our last game, Long Gone Days. Um, <laughs> it is set in a dystopia, so don't worry. It's not as depressing as either of the last two games, though. Uh, so this is a dystopian military RPG developed by Burra, which is an independent studio from Santiago, Chile. Uh, this game has sort of been conceived way back uh, in the early aughts, but recently actually kickstarted as a project in, in only 2015 and now is in early access with a full launch coming later this year. Uh, so this this game just sort of caught my eye. I think I heard someone mention it on a, a gaming podcast that I listened to, and I really um, I saw the art and said, "Wow, this is this really interesting." So I wanted to to give it a try, and it plays very much like a typical RPG, but it, it touches on a lot of interesting human themes, uh, including like language barriers and the human cost of war, journalism, politics, friendship. It's a it's an interesting little thing, despite its sort of pretty slight first two parts being about six hours at this point. Yeah, I tried to get into this one. Uh, it just seems so heavy at the beginning. Knowing that I was only going to play a few hours of it right off the bat, I had a hard time buying in. I guess so. I'm going to have to go back and like really just with the intent of fully playing all the way through. I think. Yeah, I guess where where'd you get to and, and tell me what you thought so far? Because I I agree. Like the opening chapter where. You know, before you get out into the world and reach your first like sort of hub, um, it can seem a little like railroady and a little bit. Uh, it, it just sort of like takes really big swings with its plot and and theming, but I I think it pays off on those 
later on. And, you know, it's only a six-hour runtime right now, but I still feel like sometimes that can be too long, you know? Yeah, especially when we're going after several of these. <laughs> <laughs> so I've gotten... I'm in the underground part right now, about to head out on my first mission after mm-hmm. going through some of the tutorial sections here. And I have not come across the language barrier thing yet so much, although that is something I'm interested in seeing how they play with it. Yeah, it. I can, I'll can. i talk a little about it. I, I'm not going to spoil anything because I think this is a game that's really worth experiencing and, and you should give it a try. But basically it's it's set in an alternate history version of the real world so like your first mission is in poland and if you don't have a character on you that speaks polish you're not going to be able to understand the person and um later on you end up in germany and this happens again before you recruit your first sort of german party member you're not able to really understand anyone um and then if they leave your party for one reason or another, you are you can become disempowered as not having the ability to understand all the NPCs once again. So the game has some, some interesting back and forth like that. Um, later on, when you do get to like the city portions, it, it's also much more lively. Like in, in the beginning, when you're in that, that bunker, I think honestly that first portion is kind of the weakest part of the game, which is unfortunate because it, it puts a weak foot forward. But it is, it gets really really quite amazing by the, the time the time you're in the, the second chapter of the game uh, in the German town of Kiel, I think it is. And it is really, like, it's got great music. It's got an awesome, um, just sort of lively town feeling. You can sort of see the moving parts of, like, the political landscape in that place and how you fit into that. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. And I think it does some good things with its plot in terms of, like, twists that you're not expecting as well. Well, I'm sold. I'll keep going. How was the combat? Because that was one part I just couldn't get too far into. So the the combat it has like it has a pretty standard RPG battle system. But the interesting thing is that your morale, which you build up in conversations outside of battle, sort of acts as your MP, if you will, to use skills in battle. So if you uh, manage to keep your party's morale high by, excuse me, by talking to them. Um, or, you know, making the right decisions in conversations or doing good deeds around the town uh, that your party members like, you'll be able to use more skills in battle that makes it, you know, easier by and large. Uh, And there's a secondary combat system since your character, your main character is sort of raised in sort of this dystopian military uh, faction as a sniper. There's also a sniper sort of mini game that you can play prior to battle to sometimes set up um, an upcoming boss battle. So there's, there's two little battle systems. Both are very streamlined and good. Um, they do a really cool thing with the, uh, the JRPG-style combat where um, your character... There's a bit of a pause before you know whether the hit is delivered or not and always feels like sort of pulling the lever on a... Um, a slot machine, and you're not sure if you're going to get it or not, and you get that dopamine. Yeah, you're rolling hit. your you're rolling your d20 real quick to see what you got. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does sort of emulate that well, and uh, the combat, you know, it's it's a pretty s- uh, standard RPG from that perspective, but it's it's streamlined enough to be good, and the characters are interesting and varied enough to make it fun and interesting. And also, it does the thing that I love, which Divinity Original Sin does, which. There's no random battles. All of the battles that you have are relevant to the story. There's no real filler battles here. Um, Similar to uh, 
I think another game we'll talk about soon, Chrono Trigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hate random encounters, so that, that's that's really good. I'm going to have to get further into this. I just knew that this was a game that demanded more of my attention than I had to give, so I don't think I got into it as much as I could have, but I'm definitely going to come back for this one. To be fair, me being the, the jerk that said, hey, play this quick six-hour RPG as part of our sampler podcast, um, that's on me, so don't worry about it. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I would highly recommend uh, giving it a go. Uh, give it a give it an hour or two more. You'll probably know by the time you reach the first like city whether this is something you're you're gonna dig or not. I think the characters in it are pretty likable, and the story was really what was driving me forward after that first hour. And uh, I was happy to have played it. And I'm really looking forward to when they release the final chapter, which is supposed to be later this year. Oh, I'll do one cool. more chapter. Okay. Uh, yeah, those are all of the games that we wanted to call out and talk about in depth for this uh, bundle for racial justice and equality sampler pack. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know it's not our typical thing, but hopefully you uh, got a a sampler of some interesting games that you could to play. Uh, We could shout out a a dozen more of these games if we wanted to, but uh, for now we'll leave you with this and uh, next month, as as we said, we are still going to be um, talking about Chrono Trigger. Uh, We just wanted to put that on hold for a minute so we got a chance to talk about this great uh, and worthy bundle and so that we could uh, allow that episode to time travel into the future and grace your podcatcher in September. So, for Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming. We should probably just call out a quick recommendation. Like everybody, pick their favorite game. That if you would urge people to start somewhere, what what would you recommend that they start? Oh hell yeah, let's let's do that. So if if we were to pick a game from this bundle that we consider top tier, if you play nothing else, play this. What would it be? Yeah. So if if I was gonna pick any game where I would say, hey, look, if you haven't played any of these, definitely start here. I would 100% tell you to go play Celeste right now. Hmm. Don't wait. Get that installed now uh we did a uh podcast on that a couple months back that is an amazing game well worth the price of the entire bundle all by itself um what was it probably like five six hour game it's not well it depends i guess if you want to be a completionist it'll take you forever that game is hard as shit and uh there's some end game stuff that i'd never even got to yeah um but yeah, I would definitely recommend checking out Celeste. It's it's not necessarily the most upbeat game either. It's got some uh, and a lot of undertones about depression and anxiety and things like that. But it's an important message and it's tied up in a really good game. So, like I said, check that one out. Play it and listen to our episode. <laughs> Celeste was very good, no doubt. Uh, but if I had to pick a single game from the entire bundle, I'd go with The Short Hike. Uh, Celeste is a great game, but it's a very hardcore platformer at the same time. A short hike is something I could put down in front of anybody 
and they could, you know, they could get it. They could enjoy it and see what the fuss was about. I think my answer to this would also be a short hike, but I'm going to shout out A Night in the Woods as the third game that if, if you play nothing else, play that. I really liked the fact that um, it took sort of a, an adventure game, uh, puzzle game aesthetic and put it in a town in the Midwest uh, that is inhabited by furry creatures. Uh, great writing, great message, great everything. Uh, I would definitely recommend playing Night in the Woods. and. Uh, I guess uh, those are our picks. Check them out. Check them out. Check them out. When I was initially trying to play Long Gone Days, you know, I was real, I was pumped up to play it because I'd heard like good things from the internet and I went to start it and it didn't start. And like basically it would, I would click the, the launch button, the loader would come up and boom, shut down. And so I looked on the internet for this problem. I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. So I ended up on the Long Gone Days Discord and uh, I posed my question in the bug reports uh, channel there and the developer got back to me within about 10 minutes and uh, basically said she'd seen this problem before thank you Camilla uh, that it was being caused by um, virtual workstation software Citrix uh, I don't know if you guys use that for work either of you but basically ah. it has a conflict with unity that can sometimes cause this crashing bug and she identified that extremely quickly I had a fix uh, in my hands for it within about five minutes and I played the game without a problem. So shout outs to the responsive dev team of Long Gun Days. Hey, Very cool. I had an, uh, something like this happen to me one time with Subnautica and that was like the coolest thing ever. I was just like could you forget like this isn't some gigantic in, uh, AAA studio like these are just like could be just a couple it's guys day, that are just working know? on this. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is really nice to like be able to interact with the, the, you know, the developer one-on-one like that. And, um, you know, also there's a, a nice community there around this game, people doing custom art. And um, it's it's really, uh, it's nice. You know, that's what you get with the indie scene is personality and, you know, for lack of a better word, humanity in your games. Yeah, I think the parts I like the most about the indie scene is, like you're saying, Brian, the Discord, that is really cool. You get a cool community around stuff like that. Even with some bigger games like Payday 2, like, the, uh, the developers are always on there interacting with people, even like 10 years later. It's it's, it's really cool. But then on top of that, uh, Trello boards <laughs> and things like that. Being able to see, like, you can publicly see a lot of these uh, development studios, like, bug reports or what they're working on or what their new features are going to be in the game. Like, they make that all public so their fans can see it. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout-outs to hard-working indie devs of the world. Keep making Hell cool yeah. stuff. Keep your Kanban boards going. Keep, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> keep on Kanban. <laughs> Take care and keep on Kanbanning. <laughs> Guys, do you feel like it's getting harder to talk to people? Because I feel like the longer I'm in quarantine, I speak to my wife and a baby. <laughs> and I feel like I used to be quite verbose and I had good vocabulary. And now sometimes I try to get out a sentence and I sound like a moron. No, Clint, yeah. it's just fatherhood. This isn't the quarantine. <laughs> oh, right here. God. Yeah, you've got uh, 
Cool, so baby it's just brain. me then. All right. Baby brain. Hey, bandit. No, uh, that's okay. I talk to a dog sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Josh talks to cats. But um, no, I, I hear you. We're not all, none of us are getting out as much as we have. So yeah, I feel like my uh, ability to, to talk has deteriorated a bit, even though I do it every day on the phone with work. Maybe I'm, I don't know. It's not the same. Yeah, it's not yeah, the same. Yeah, it's not the same. Goku, I'm taking off my weighted wrist wristbands, unleashing my full podcasting energy. Super. <laughs> Hello. Ah. Right. We're right. over my nine hair. minutes. Yeah, you're just gonna keep screaming while your hair continues to grow and glow. Yeah, and that's the next two episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Ah! We're, we're, unfortunately, we're going to be powering up for the next two episodes, so you guys are just gonna have to wait for that to be over. Cool. Sorry, dear listener. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, Minute was an adventure game developed by J.W. Kidio. Nah. Minute was an adventure game. <laughs> nah. I knew this was going to get me. I'm going to slow down and do this. Yummy. Thank God for thank God for post. Okay, hold on. <laughs>